Now, the hottest movie in South Korea right now is 12-12 Today, or Sorebom in Korean. Now, the drama, the movie, is a dramatic version of the military coup carried out on December 12, 1979 by Chun Doo-hwan and No Tae-woo, not to mention other members of what eventually will be called the new military government. Now, Korean social media has been a buzz since its release on November 22nd, with some asking what parts of the movie are true and what parts may have been exaggerated, as often some of these uh, historical dramas or historical movies often have. While we don't won't be explicitly fact-checking the movie in itself, today we'll be looking back on that fateful day in Korean history and talk about what unfolded and why for this. Joining us in the studio, as he always does, is Professor Benjamin Engel. Welcome back. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Did you watch the movie? I did. Um, how? You have a, <laughs> how are you able to pull this off? Your kid is only like a year older than my kid. Yeah, we uh, put the kids to bed and I snuck out and watched it at night. Lucky, mm-hmm. lucky. And so you were out there, you watched it. First and foremost, did you enjoy it? I did. It's really enjoyable. Um, it's uh, fast-paced, even though it's a historical drama, so you know what's going to happen. Uh, it manages to keep that tension, keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, right? With a lot of these historical dramas or like historical movies, is you already know what happens, but you know how the director is able to tell the story still keeps you at the edge of your seat. But... Before talking about what happened on December 12, 1979, it may be best to kind of step back and talk about the events that led up to the military coup. Uh, back in October, you know, we discussed Park jong assassination on uh, October 26, 1979, or a little more over a month uh, before Chun Doo-hwan's coup. What happened between Park's assassination and the coup that contributed uh, to Chun Doo-hwan's decision to actually grab power? Yeah, Park Jung-hee's assassination left a large hole within the South Korean government. During his 18 years in power, Park had successfully managed power competitions within the government so that nobody could rival him. Moreover, his assassination resulted in not only his death, but the death of his powerful Presidential Security Service Chief Cha Ji-chul and the arrest of the powerful KCIA director Kim Jae-gyu, who was uh, his assassin. Right. The result was no clear heir apparent with a power base and important government institutions without leaders. Uh, the prime minister and thus uh, became acting president at the time was Che Gyu-ha, who was a former diplomat and, according to many, did not really have a thirst for power nor a personal following to support himself in such a cutthroat environment. Because of this, he was almost immediately challenged by Kim Jong-pil, who was po- perhaps Park Chung-hee's most important political rival within the military government, and many people thought he would be Park Chung-hee's heir for a time. However, recognizing that Korean society had grown weary of Park Chung-hee's authoritarian Yushin system, Che Gyu-ha made it clear early on that he thought Korea needed to go through a process of political liberalization. In a speech on November 10th, Che stated, uh, quote, In parallel with our economic and social growth, we ought to promote progress in the political field. I understand this is what the majority of people desire today, end quote. Hundreds of political prisoners being held under presidential decrees promulgated by Park Jung-hee were released in early December. Although the timing was being debated, both Park Jung-hee's subordinates who took over power and opposition leaders agreed that a new constitution should be drafted and the Yushin constitution scrapped. However, martial law had been decreed throughout South Korea in the wake of Park Jung-hee's assassination, putting the military in a very powerful position despite the tendency towards political liberalization. In this sense, whoever controlled the military could control the future of South Korean politics. With no firm leader and Chun Doo-hwan and his comrades believing they should inherit Park Chung-hee's so-called vision or revolution in South Korea, the situation was ripe for a military coup. My dad was, I was talking to my dad uh, about around this time, and uh, he remembers it like yesterday, the the assassination of uh, Park Chung-hee, because he said it was around like 
three months into him beginning his military service. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was red alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, they thought they were at war. And uh, of course, eventually, just over a, a month later, this military coup happened. And it was very chaotic, according to him, uh, in, in, uh, during the military there. But Although we typically refer to December 12th as a military coup, I mean, this isn't actually correct in a strictest sense of the term, right? I mean, like, the government was not toppled by Chen Duan and the interim president. Uh, che Guo continued to serve as the president after December 12th until August of two, uh, 1980. Can you tell us exactly what was at stake on December 12th, 1979, and why do we refer to it as a military coup? Right. So it might be most accurate to describe the December 12th coup as a power grab within the military, not a full-scale military coup that toppled the government. Chen Duhuan and his co-conspirators were tied together through a private association within the military called Hanohui. This organization was built with the approval of Park Jung-hee, and Chen Duhuan himself was was very close with Park. With uh, Park Jung-hee gone, the soldiers in Hanohui not only felt it was their duty to carry on Park's so-called revolution, but they were disappointed with the lack of promotion opportunities within the military. The highest echelons of the Korean military had been occupied by many of the same generals for over two decades since Park's, Park Jung-hee's military coup in 1961. Moreover, the younger officers in Hanohei believed themselves more capable leaders, having received better educations than the top generals. In a situation in which the civilian government was weak and the country was being governed by Martian law, taking over control of the military rather than the civilian government was the most obvious path to power uh, for these aspiring Hanohei officers. They were also able to secure the perfect pretense for seizing power. Chen Duhuan, as the commander of the Defense Security Command, which was basically military intelligence, was placed in charge of investigating Pak Chung-hee's assassination. Chun oversaw the interrogation and torture of Kim Jae-gyu, who assassinated Pak Chung-hee, and came to find out that General Jung Seung-hwa, who was the commanding, commander overseeing martial law, had been invited by Kim Jae-gyu to the same compound on the same night he murdered Pak Chung-hee. Although there was no explicit evidence that Kim Jae-gyu had consulted Jung Seung-hwa about the assassination, Chun Duhuan used this as an excuse to arrest Chung, Jung Seung-hwa. The arrest of Jung Seung-hwa is basically the central ordeal of December 12th. Chen Duhan and members of Hanohei became the real power holders in South Korea after December 12th, but the civilian government remained in place, and Chen Duhan manipulated the government from behind the scenes until he officially became president in August 1980. In this sense, uh, some people refer to it as a rolling military coup because it progressed in stages, with December 12th being that first stage. Yeah, and this is uh, it's quite interesting with the Hanohei, right, and uh, the all-powerful Hanohei, and eventually maybe we'll talk about uh, later uh, who ended up toppling uh, Hanohei, but... Let's get into the events which the movie 1212 Day focuses on, uh, the Seoul Boom. Can you tell us what exactly happened on December 12, 1979, and how these new military government figures were able to succeed in taking uh, the, the power? Right. So the movie zeroes in on about a nine-hour period from uh, the uh, evening of December 12th until the early morning hours of December 13th. And this was the, the heart of the issue. Uh, the first uh, task for the coup plotters was arresting Army Chief of Stash, Staff and Martial Law Commander Jung Seung Hwa, as right. I mentioned. The plan was for the arrest to take place as Jung Du Hwan approached President Che Gyu Ha to receive approval for his arrest. The arrest of Jung Seung Hwa was successful, but in the melee, shots were fired, resulting in a few injuries but no deaths. Jeez. Chen Duhan, however, was not able to persuade the president to approve the arrest, and this created quite a problem. Uh, president Che Gyu-ha told Chen Duhan that he would only approve it once it was approved by the minister of defense, No Jae-hyun. 
This was an unexpected development for the coup plotters, and they had not considered beforehand the necessity of including the defense minister in their plans. Worse for the coup plotters, the defense minister's home was nearby that of the army chief of staff, Zheng Xinhua, and he heard the shots being fired when he was arrested. Defense minister No Jae-hyun ran off with his family, not knowing what was happening, and eventually made his way onto the U.S. military base in Yongsan. In the meantime, the soldiers tasked with protecting Seoul and preventing coups had been invited to a party by Chun Doo-hwan and thus were not at their post initially. Zhang Taewan, the commander of the Capital Defense Command, returned to his post and heard Chun Doo-hwan and the coup plotters were holed up in a military base next to Gyeongbuk Palace in downtown Seoul. During a phone call between General Zhang and the coup plotters, Zhang famously told them to stay put and that he'd uh, hop in a tank and come blow their heads off. Jeez. This set off a race between the coup plotters and the anti-coup forces for control of downtown. The coup forces deployed several airborne units under their command to the Ministry of Defense building and also Army headquarters in Yongsan and to the Special Warfare Command to seize its commander who was loyal to Zhang Sunhua. Units of the 9th Division under the command of future President No Teu were also deployed into downtown Seoul from their fr frontline positions in Ilsan to Seoul's northwest. Fighting broke out when coup forces approached the Ministry of Defense and Special War Command buildings, and two soldiers were killed, one at the Ministry of Defense and one at the Special Warfare Command. Others were also injured. Uh, Zhang Taewan tried to muster forces to repel the coup plotters, but commanders of other units refused to deploy their troops. In the meantime, the Minister of Defense had decided to leave the U.S. military base and was captured by the coup forces at the Defense Ministry. After being captured by Chun Doo-hwan's forces, the Minister of Defense agreed to sanction the arrest of Zheng Sunhua, and Che Gyu-ha did as well. Defense Minister No Jae-woo also ordered Zhang Taewan to step down, and ultimately the anti-coup forces were never sufficiently mustered to stop Chun Doo-hwan in Hanoi. The feeble response of the defense minister, No Jae-hyun, has been criticized by many as the main reason that the coup was successful. Can we just agree that then even the military itself was kind of split then, right? They were taking sides. And it was almost like, I mean, I don't want to call it a civil war, but I mean, military is the same technical, technically the same branch of the military. I mean, different branches were, I guess, maybe in battle here. But it was eventually... Whose side are you going to take? And I'm sure there's a lot of people going, well, we're going to go for the, the, the coup, uh, the, the pro-coup party or the, the anti-coup party. And I'm sure there's like lines being formed and, and uh, trying to gain in on the power as well. But we talked a lot about this uh, in October when we discussed events during the rule of Park Chung-hee. But one thing Koreans are typically curious about when it comes to like these uh, dramatic political developments in Korea is like, what, what was the U.S. government doing? I mean, that was... Even speculation, I forgot who it was, was with you or our producer, or somebody told us that maybe even the U.S. already knew that Chun Doo-hwan was going to be in power even before all of this was going to happen, and that U.S. were maybe uh, cheering on for Chun Doo-hwan. But in this case, we have South Korean military units like moving to take part in the coup, which were under the command of the Combined Forces, uh, Combined Forces Command, which was headed by a U.S. general. So... This leads some to wonder if the U.S. again supported Chun Doo-hwan's military coup. There was some speculations that they did. They already knew that he was going to be the next leader of uh, South Koreans in some ways. Can you tell us what was the role of the U.S. on December 12th then? Yeah, so the U.S. was at the time was actively encouraging Che Kyu-ha to proceed with political liberalization. Uh, so a new military government emergency was um, explicitly contrary to U.S. interests at the time. But... The U.S. did receive intelligence beforehand that Chun Doo-hwan and others may be plotting a coup. Yeah. 
And they even shared those reports with senior members of the Korean military, hoping that they would act upon it, but they did not. Uh, so uh, the U.S. did know that a coup was uh, perhaps uh, being planned. Uh, they shared that intelligence, and the Korean government did not act on it. That's weird. In the movie uh, 1212 The Day, there is a scene where the U.S. ambassador tells Defense Minister uh, No Jae-hyun to leave the U.S. military base, but um, based on my reading of documents, this is false. Uh, the uh, excuse me, the commander of U.S. forces, John Wickham, and U.S. ambassador William Gleistein, uh, both state in their memoirs that they urged the defense ministers to stay at the U.S. base until the morning. Uh, they were actually worried that in the black of night, like you said, a civil war would erupt uh, between uh, South Korean troops and uh, that this may subsequently invite a, an attack by North Korea with the South Korean military in disarray. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the defense minister left the U.S. base against the, their advice and ended up being captured by Chun Doo-hwan and uh, forced to approve of the arrest of Jung Seung-hwa. The U.S. also was deeply disturbed by the coup force's disregard for the Combined Forces Command. Uh, no Tae-ho's uh, decision to deploy his frontline troops to Seoul as part of the coup was perhaps one of the most egregious decisions in South Korean military history after the Korean War. He pulled out troops guarding the front line along the demilitarized zone to assist the military coup. The U.S. government severely criticized this move at the time and has done so ever since. I would add, however, that the U.S. did not try to undo the coup or strongly inhibit Chun Doo-hwan's rise to power after December 12th. This could lead to, to the perception definitely that the U.S. was complicit in the coup itself. But despite its support of Chun Doo-hwan afterwards, it does not appear that the U.S. assisted Chun to take power in, on December 12, 1979. Now, Professor, as you explained before, I mean, there were some uh, figures in the Korean army trying to prevent uh, Chun Doo-hwan from taking power, right? Like, you look at the movie 1212 Today, like, one of the main characters is Lee Tae-shin, who was played by, by the way, Chung Woo Sung. Lee Tae-shin is the commander of the Capital Defense Command, is one of those main figures trying to stop the coup. But obviously, as we know in history, they, they, they failed. But what happened to these people after the coup? I mean, I, I can't imagine them being forgiven and going, oh, it's cool. You know, we got, you know, Chun Doo-hwan going, I got, I got power. I'm in power, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm going to let you guys go. Go somewhere. Go outside the country or something. I'm sure terrible things have happened to them. Yeah, it was not such a good time for them after the uh, the coup. Um, Jiang Taewon uh, was probably the Korean military leader who most aggressively tried to foil the coup. After coming to the realization that he could not muster enough troops to put down the coup, he returned to his headquarters where he was arrested by an officer under his own command. He spent the next 45 days in a detention center run by the Defense Security Command, which was under the control of Chun Doo-hwan. After he was released, he spent the next six months under house arrest. Uh, he was relieved of his command at the Capital Defense Command and discharged from the military. Months later, his father died after ingesting excessive amounts of alcohol alcohol because he was distraught at how his son was treated uh, for trying to protect the country. Then two years later, his son, who was in high school in 1980 but had entered Seoul National University in 1982, was found dead at the foot of a mountain near Daegu. Although I'm aware of no uh, explicit evidence, some wonder if his son was killed for what his father had done, uh, uh, including Jiang Taewon himself. His reputation was stored after democratization and even served as a member of the National Assembly for the Progressive Millennium Dem Democratic Party. However, rumors about Jiang Taewon's role in the attempted repression of the coup remain somewhat rampant on the Korean far right. As I mentioned, he was tricked into attending a party on the night of the coup by Chun mm. Doo-hwan so that he wouldn't be at his post when the coup took place. Some believe that he was drunk when he attempted to repress the coup, and at one point uh, his orders included the idea of bombarding the coup force's headquarters next to Gyeongbokgung with artillery. Others, however, have sought to uphold Jiang Taewon's reputation as one of the few soldiers who respected the military's place under civilian government and have refuted the story that he was intoxicated. Uh, the commander of the Special Warfare Command, uh, Chung Byung-ju, 
who also stood up to the coup leaders, was also forcefully just discharged from the military and found dead in suspicious circumstances in 1989. So a lot of fishy things happening to these people afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Fishy is an understatement. And uh, you knew it was going to happen. And, uh, you know, Chun Duan, knowing a, a, a very power-hungry person, uh, knew that there was going to be some kind of uh, retaliation coming. Uh, the, the Korean name of the movie, again, Seoul uh it's translated into Seoul Spring, when we talk about Seoul Spring in terms of Korean history, like it, it t- typically refers to the early part of the year 1980 when it appeared that uh, Seoul may transition into a democracy. But obviously, unfortunately, uh, the dream squashed on May 18th, right, when uh, Chen Duan declared martial law and uh, repressed the Gwangju democracy movement. But in this regard, though, Professor, December 12, 1979 was the, only the beginning of a long process of Chen Duan seizing complete power. Can you tell us what happened after December 12, 1979? Right. With the primary goal of the 1212 coup being to take power within the military, Chun Duhuan and his co-conspirators placed themselves in important positions of power in the immediate aftermath. No Teu, who had left the front line open by moving elements of the 9th Division into Seoul, was made capital garrison command, replacing Zhang Taewan, who had tried to stop the coup. Although they were unable to put a person directly into the position of Army Chief of Staff, one of the coup plotters, Huang Yongshi, was appointed Vice Chief of Staff and was tasked with controlling that office. Huang Yongshi would be appointed Army Chief of Staff by Chun Duhuan in 1981, and the next two Chiefs of Staff after him were also close associates or members of Hanahui. Chung Ho Young was appointed Special Warfare Command uh, commander to replace Chung Byung-ju, who had been arrested for opposing the coup, and Chung Ho Young in that position would play an important role in commanding the military's repression of the Gwangju democracy movement. Numerous others who participated in the coup, or Hanohei members, were given prestigious commands in the army. As for Chun Duhan himself, he had himself appointed to a three-star general three months after the coup, and in April 1980, he had himself appointed the director of the KCIA. Now, at at that point, he controlled the most important levers of violence in the country, the military and the KCIA. And so Chun Duhuan completed his coup by declaring martial law on May 17th and arresting all prominent p- politicians who could challenge him, including the so-called Three Kims, Kim Dae-jung, Kim Yong-sam, and Kim Jong-pil. Opposition leaders, students, and laborers had been calling for the Chegyua civilian government to keep its promise and promulgate a new constitution and were carrying out numerous protests in the spring of 1980, hence the name Seoul Spring. However, the de- declaration of martial law on May 17th and the brutal repression of the Gwangju democracy movement from May 18th to May 27, 1980, left Chun in complete control. Now, we fast forward to June 1987. Uh, Chun new military government uh, would be eventually chased out of power by Korean democracy movement and... Uh, Look at the time period. I mean, uh, you know, from uh, even if we go back to 79 to all the way in 87, we're looking at uh, almost eight years gap here. Can you tell us what became of Chun Duan after 1987? Uh, was he ever punished for carrying out his military coup? I mean, even that, I guess some of us really know the answers to. Uh, but uh, yeah, for our listeners out there, uh, let, let's do a run through on what exactly happened to him after all of this. Yeah, once the democracy movement achieved its victory in June 1987, there were many calls for investigating and prosecuting the leaders of the new military government, not only for the 1212 military coup, but also for the repression of the Gwangju democracy movement. 
However, in the first free and open presidential election held in December 1987, No Tae-woo was elected as the three Kims, again Kim Dae-jung, Kim Yong-sam, and Kim Jong-pil, all ran against each other, splitting the vote. Right. With No Tae-woo in power, it was impossible to bring charges against the new military uh, government figures. However, the National Assembly did begin investigating the events of 1979 and 1980 immediately after democratization in 1988. But then in 1992, Kim Yong-sam was elected president, and this opened up the pros- possibility of prosecuting Chun Doo-hwan, No Tae-woo, and the other co-conspirators. On December 21, 1995, the Special Act on the May 18th Democratization Movement was adopted by the National Assembly. This law suspended the statute of limitations in order to punish the crimes committed by the new military figures in 1979 and 1980. Consequently, Chun Doo-hwan, No Tae-woo, and others who participated in the coup and the repression of the Gwangju Democracy Movement were arrested and put on trial. The trials began in March 1996, and in August that year, Chun Doo-hwan was sentenced to death by the Seoul District Court. However, the sentence was knocked down to life in prison by the appellate court and affirmed by the Supreme Court in early 1997. Chun Doo-hwan was also ordered to pay 220 billion Korean won in fines. But in December 1997, Chun Doo-hwan's sentence was commuted by Kim Yong-sam on the advice of incoming President Kim Dae-jung. A major controversy remaining in South Korea is the fact that Chun Doo-hwan only paid about 53 billion or one-fourth of the fines that he was ordered to pay. Rumors persist that Chun Doo-hwan and his family were able to hide away millions of dollars that Chun had received through bribes while he was president. As a result, in 2013, prosecutors raided properties linked to Chun and took away expensive pieces of art. Chun Doo-hwan's grandson, uh, Chun Woo-won, restirred this controversy earlier this year when he made claims on social media that his family still lives off the wealth illegally uh, accumulated by Chun Doo-hwan. Yeah, it's interesting with... uh, because I was talking about, you know, who eventually topples the Hanwha'e, right? Uh, At the the end, it's uh, Kim Yong-sam. We talked about the uh, three Kims, which split up later on, Kim Yong-sam. But like you said, a lot of people were anticipating uh, big things, uh, big punishments to be handed down for uh, Chun Doo-hwan and No Tae-woo uh, at the start of the Kim Yong-sam uh, administration. And you mentioned, again, interesting, the, the, uh, basically the parting coming from Kim Dae-jung, right? And Kim Dae-jung was one of those presidents, again, a liberal, uh, a progressive uh, president, but he did not believe in political retaliation, mm-hmm. right? Because let's face it, we see this all the time. You know, if we have uh, the the former ruling party being investigated for this and that and this and that, and then, you know, the administration switches and then you're going to see, you know, all the, the, we've seen so many former presidents go to prison. You know, we've seen a lot of high ranking officials from uh, previous administrations get arrested. But basically, Kim Dae-jung did not believe in that, right? And so he was kind of, again, you know, no no wonder why he won the Nobel Peace Prize, but uh he is probably the only other, only president in the history, uh, in modern history, that never really got attacked from any rival parties afterwards, despite being the fact that there was like some controversy in regards to maybe bribes that uh, maybe his, his son had uh, received right, or something son. like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was kind of like shoved under the <laughs> carpet because, again, he had no enemies with what it was, but it was very controversial at the time, uh, despite, you know, again, Kim Dae-jung being a very popular president and, you know, him being known for his uh, Nobel Peace Prize, the, the, the pardons that were handed out. And, of course, you know, despite all the truth-seeking movements that, that we've seen, you know, reporters chasing down on uh, golf courses and saying mm-hmm. that, you know, he has Alzheimer's. How is he playing golf? I don't know. But as we mentioned right now, 12-12 today, I mean, this is the, the, the hottest movie in Korea at the moment. It was released again uh, just late last month, so just a few weeks ago. Already sold over 4 million tickets. 
you saw that there was a lot of young people in attendance as well. Like, what's been the reaction of the Korean people, and why has it been so popular, though? Because generally, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine the historical uh, movies being so popular amongst the young, young people. Yeah, it, it is really interesting that the movie has been so popular amongst the younger generation. Having not lived through the events of 1979 and 1980 and only learned about them uh, through textbooks in history class, I think they're shocked when the events of December 12, 1979 are brought to life through the movie. A series of posts on social media show moviegoers measuring their heart rate or stress levels oh, using wow. uh, digital watches as a symbol of how uh, the events of the 12-12 coup quite literally make their blood boil. And the movie has sparked a, a great deal of media attention with many reporters and historians providing readers with details about what the movie displays truthfully and what it exaggerates. Uh, on this note, in, what, in particular, the movie culminates with a battle uh, nearly taking place in Gwangamun, right in the middle of downtown Seoul. As I mentioned before, Chang uh, Taewon had suggested doing this, but troops were never actually mobilized, so the movie does take some liberties with history in that regard. In any case, the movie brings to life... The attitudes of the coup plotters, which I think is probably what people find the most interesting. For me, one of the uh, these uh, interesting scenes is when Chun Du Guang, the fictionalized Chun Du Han, is encouraging his co-conspirators to call out units to occupy Seoul. The other soldiers are worried that if they mobilize them, uh, particularly the 9th Division, which was uh, stationed along the DMZ, this would be left open to a North Korean invasion. But Chun Du Guang argues that if they don't mobilize the 9th Division, they will be killed by the anti-coup forces. So they make this decision uh, to mobilize soldiers to save themselves while risking the lives of everybody in yeah. South Korea because they were opening the door to North Korea. So for me, this scene brought to life the selfishness of the coup. While in the movie, uh, the coup plotters allude to carrying out the econ uh, carrying out the revolution and hoping to develop South Korea further. In real life, in, in, indeed in real life, this did take place. The economy did grow under Chun Doo-hwan's leadership, but the coup itself risked everything so that these specific people could attain power. Absolutely, absolutely. Just a fascinating story in history here. Unfortunately, we are quickly running out of time. Professor Engel, as always, thank you very much for your history lessons today. Have a safe rest of the week and looking forward to our next lesson next week. See you next time. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.